0: Let's go to John chapter 13, and I want to take the next few services, and we're by no means done with the covenant of blood, Uh, but I want to take the next few services. There's something that God really began to deal with my spirit about, and uh, there were things that Jesus said in the upper room before he went to the cross and after he went to the cross. That are so powerful, and uh, we want to begin tonight to look at some of this. There were things that Jesus said the night before he went to the crucifixion, and if you, if, you, if you look at it in depth, Jesus said a lot that night. I mean, he said, John takes about four chapters to get in everything Jesus said in the upper room, and uh, I began to think about that, and I thought, if it was so important, that he said, with a great desire, I've desired to eat this meal with you. If it was so important that he would keep those disciples up all night long teaching them, I figured it's important for us. And it records, the Bible records the words that he shared in the room with his disciples on the last night before his death. And so I'm simply calling this uh, little mini-series, There in That Room, There in that room. And uh, John 13 and verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Notice, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Having loved his own in the world, he loved them until the end. So the Bible says, of course, Jesus loved them to the end. The idea that's conveyed here is not so much he loved them until the end of a time period. All right? It's it's not the word in the Greek that refers to a specific time period. It rather refers to the fact that he loved them to the uttermost. Or that he showed them the full extent of his love. As a matter of fact, the Wiest Bible says he loved them to the uttermost. So he loved his own that were in the world, and it says he loved them to the uttermost. He showed them the full extent of his love. And the quality of his love is indicated. The love there that is is referred to is agape or agapeo, the, the deep, compassionate love of God for the world. He loved them perfectly, all right? Having loved his own in the world, he loved them perfectly. So it's not just telling us about a time period. It's telling us that Jesus loved them to the uttermost. He loved them perfectly. They saw the full extent of his love. Then verse 2 says, and supper being ended... The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. By this time, Judas had already agreed with the Jewish leaders to betray Jesus into their hands. Now, think of this. Judas became a willing instrument for the devil. What had been in the heart of the devil was put into the heart of Judas. All right? The word identifies Judas as the betrayer of Jesus. It reveals him as the traitor, but in the beginning, Jesus personally chose him. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, Jesus says, I've chosen 12 of you, and it outlined the ones that he chose, and among them was Judas Iscariot. And, and of course, it refers to the fact that he was a traitor. This is going to be very important in what we're talking about. Hallelujah. Jesus personally chose him in the beginning. Judas had to comply. He had to cooperate with the enemy. At some point, a thought came into Judas' mind, whether it was of offense or anger or pride or whatever it was, At some point, a thought came into his mind that caused him to change his attitude and his thought processes completely about the one that had shown him perfect love. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, the prophecy that Jesus referred to, it says that he knew that it was going to be someone close to him. Because of the prophecy that went before that said, A man, my own friend, my brother, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus called Judas his friend. When he came into the garden and he kissed him, Jesus said, Friend, do you betray me with a kiss? But Jesus wasn't being facetious. He meant that. Jesus had no, to love perfectly, you have no animosity against anybody. You know, very often people teach and talk about Jesus' interaction with the Jewish leaders of his day, and they teach and preach like Jesus had something against them. Jesus was so confrontive with them because he loved them so much. He wanted them to see the truth of who he was. Amen. And, you know, love is not always roses and daisies. Love sometimes is, listen, you got to wake up. Right? And so when Jesus would look at the Jewish leaders and say, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers, he wasn't being ugly, he wasn't being mean, he's trying to get them to see, don't you see what you're doing, what's going on here? Up until the end, Jesus was reaching out to Judas in love. He loved them perfectly. In verse 3, it says, Jesus knowing That the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. So Jesus knew the Father had given him complete power and authority. He knew he had come from the Father and that he was going back to the Father. John is the only writer in the four gospels that consistently takes us into eternity past and even into the future, and he lets us know here that Jesus always knew he had come from the Father. He had always come he always knew that, and he always knew that he was going to go back to the Father at some point he, was, he had came and he was going to go back, and he knew that he had been given all power and all authority. Now, why is this important? Because he knew he had been given all power and authority. He had to become a willing sacrifice and willfully lay down all the power and all the authority that he knew he had been rightfully given. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In verse 4, it says, He riseth from supper. Now, you've got to connect the two verses, verse 2 and verse 4. And supper being ended, and then he goes through a explanation, he riseth from supper, supper being ended, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. Supper had ended, and no servant had washed their feet. Luke states that there was a dispute among the disciples at that time as to who was the greatest. Do, do you see this? Supper was ended and Jesus girded himself with a garment, a towel. Took a towel and girded himself. He rose from the table Notice what it says. He rose from the table and laid aside his garments. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7 says that Jesus, when he came into the earth, notice this. It tells us that, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. See, every scripture connects with every scripture. And he's telling us here, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. In John chapter 13, we're seeing his mind. And it says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he came into the world deity, all right, and he did not think that his humanity took away from his deity. And notice, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of, uh, of the cross. In verse 7, when it says he, he made himself of no reputation... One translation says he laid aside all of his deity, all of his godlikeness, and became a man and took on himself the form of a servant. So, in the upper room, the Son of God, who loved perfectly, who loved ultimately, who showed them perfect love, supper being ended and nobody has washed their feet, the Son of God stands up and once again lays aside his garments. And takes on himself the form of a servant. Hallelujah. 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 And notice. The disciples were disputing about who would be the greatest. And the greatest among them. Is serving. Hallelujah. The night before his, his death. He's about to go to the garden of Gethsemane. And wrestle for for the souls of all mankind. And bring his will under the control of the will of the Father. After that he'll be taken. you remember he'll stay up all night. They'll beat him. They'll scourge him. They'll put thorns in his head. He won't rest all night long. And he's taking the time to love them perfectly. Oh hallelujah. He didn't feel it took away. From his deity to become a man. In the same way, when he washed their feet, he didn't feel it made him less their Lord to wash their feet. Now, don't misunderstand this. The washing of the feet, you know, I grew up in a church where we used to have foot washings all the time. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an uncomfortable feeling. So the, it's not so much the act as it is what it represents. This was the job of a servant, not the master. You understand? This this is the job of of a hired servant, not the master of the house. Jesus is the master. And while everybody else is jockeying for position, the one who has the position but made himself of no reputation. When you have the position, you don't have to tell everybody. Right? The one that had the position got up and laid aside his garments and took on himself the form of a servant. Oh, glory. Verse 5. Of John 13 we'll stay in John 13 tonight after he pours water into a basin and begin to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded now this the reason why this is so important is uh, in that day and time the most unclean part of a person's body was their feet They didn't, they didn't wear shoe, socks and shoes. They were girded in sandals. That's how they got around. And when you came to someone's home and that servant washed your feet, it was not just a symbol of honor for you as a guest, although that was part of it. It brought refreshment. It brought a feeling of cleanliness. And now here is Jesus washing the most unclean part of the disciples' bodies in that day. It's it's a shadow of what happened when we were born again. The Bible says that we were cleansed from our uncleanness, that we were cleansed from all of the filth of sin. And who were we cleansed by? The Master. Amen. Amen. John chapter 13 and verse uh, 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. He was speaking of something much deeper than just washing Peter's feet. He's speaking of salvation. And he says very plainly, if you don't let me wash you, you'll never experience the benefits of salvation. In verse 10, Jesus said to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. In other words, all of you all are clean, you're clean, but not all of you are clean. Washed here indicates one who has had the whole body bathed. He that is washed, he that has had his whole body washed is clean every whit. This is the picture of a person that has received salvation by faith. But then he says, but is clean. Washed indicates one that's had the whole body bathed. But is clean means because he's had a bath, here it is, there's no need to ever wash the entire body again. See, that's where people miss it. Because the Bible says, you you know the scripture, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us. I don't have to take a bath all over again. I just have to cleanse that part of me where I missed it. Because I'm already saved. I've already been washed in the water of the Word. Do you see this? And so Jesus is saying, if you're washed, then you're clean. You're saved. And if you miss it, there's no need to wash the entire body again. I mean, think about this. Can you show me implicitly where Peter repented to Jesus for denying him? But we know he did it. But we don't see him say, Jesus, forgive me for denying you. He may have, he may not have. I don't know. But here's what I'm trying to say. He's saying, he said, the 11 of you are clean. One of you is not. Is that right? Well, how could they be clean? They had believed on Jesus as Lord. They confessed in Matthew 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. God revealed to you at whatever age you were saved that Jesus was Lord. God revealed that to you. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you. Think about that. Peter had walked with Jesus for nearly three and a half years at that time before he got the revelation, and you got it in a split second of time. Hallelujah. Do you see that? And so you can't... we don't we don't want to make mistakes, we don't want to miss the mark, but here's the thing. If I'm saved, I'm saved. I can't commit a certain sin and lose my salvation. I got to walk away from my salvation. I have to lay it down. I have to deny Christ. Are you following me? Yes, sir. You got to understand something. Jesus loved perfectly up until the moment that Judas walked out that door, there was an opportunity for him to change. There was an opportunity for him to change his mind and go back and become what God wanted him to be. That's why Jesus is spending this time telling them how much I love you and how easy this is to be cleansed. My brother, sister, the easiest thing in the world that there is, is to quit sinning and start living for God. The easiest thing in the world is to do what God wants you to do. It's just like taking a bath. Glory to God. God. Amen. He said, uh, you are clean, but not all. See, Judas needed a bath. The other disciples just needed their feet washed. Yet, Jesus had washed the feet of the man that would betray him that night. He loved them perfectly. Now, now this is so interesting to me. Because these are the actions and the words that he's taking and saying the night before he's going to die. Why isn't he telling them how to build a church? Why isn't he telling them to be on guard? Why isn't he telling them what to preach and what to teach? He's showing them this is what you have to do. Hallelujah. Jesus is the body of Christ in action in this setting. And he's showing all of us how the body of Christ needs to react to each other. Amen. When when we talk about forgiveness, the Bible says, when you read on, that Jesus knew who it was that would betray him. Is that right? Remember in the other Gospels, he he said, I'm telling you, tonight one of you will betray me. And they said, who is it, Lord? Is it I? We used to sing a song when I was a boy growing up in church. Lord, is it I? But here's the point. Jesus said, it's the one that dips his bread in the bowl with me. And it says, at that time, Judas, watch. Watch how the devil is. Judas dipped and said, Lord, is it I? He loved them perfectly. Perfectly. And Jesus looked at Judas with both of their hands in the dish at the same time and looked at him and said, that that you do, do quickly. He knew who was going to do it. But yet he's giving him the opportunity. It's always better to give the wrong man a break than break the wrong man. I've had people over the years ask me, They said, how how could you let that person come back to the church after what they did? They lied on you. They said these different things. They, they, They tried to cause dissension. What am I supposed to do? If I want to emulate the love of Christ. Jesus had a habit of just keeping, giving people rope. And they would either pull themselves out of the ditch or just forget about it. He loved them. Perfectly. There's nobody you can't love. There's nobody you can't forgive. Why? Because this love is in me. This ability to love perfectly is in me. It's in all of us. If Jesus could wash the feet of his betrayer and look him in the eye and call him friend, because understand something, he was a friend so far as Jesus was concerned. Years ago, and you've probably watched the movie, but but I'm, a, I'm an old movie buff, especially old westerns. There was a movie made in 1966, so that means it was 55 years ago. And... Uh, Called the Magnificent Seven, and you remember the guy? There was an old television show called The Man from U.N.C.L.E. By remember The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Y'all don't you remember right? You, yeah, Robert Vaughn, that was him, and he played a gunfighter in the Magnificent Seven that had lost his nerve, and so he had he had went with the Magnificent Seven to that village in Mexico so he could get away from his enemies. They were all sitting around one night talking talking about their enemies and how many men that they had gunned down. They came to him, and they said, how many enemies do you have? And he said, none. And they said, "Uh, none? He goes, alive. (laughs) I'm no enemies alive. Well, here's here's my point in, in saying this. See, so far as he was concerned, he had no enemies. So far as Jesus was concerned, he had no enemies. He loved everybody. He did not... Can you see this? the spiritual significance of this? If you go around constantly thinking somebody's got it out for you, you put that person in the position of an enemy. Well, they don't like me. Well, why don't they like you? It's got to be they're my enemy. Well, why are they your enemy? Why don't... See, you put them in the position of being your enemy. Jesus was aware that people didn't like Him. Jesus was aware of the people that were were plotting to kill Him. But yet you never hear Jesus call them enemies. On the cross, He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Now think about that. He loved them perfectly. Amen. Amen. But people will hear you say things like that. I, I, I have a saying. You know, somebody, somebody will say, you know, hey, so-and-so said something bad about you. And I'll say, they don't know me. They just don't know me. If they knew me, they'd like me. See, I've got to keep that mindset. Yes, sir. Because when, when will that person maybe need my help? Right? That, that person that may leave the church or, or do you wrong. Or say something that's not right. Doesn't mean mean it's not right. Or or that, that they did the right thing. Or what they did wasn't wrong. It's your response to it. See, God looks at things this way. If you have the ability and access to the ability to do something. He expects you to take ownership of that and act accordingly. Judgment comes... When God knew you had the ability to do something and you didn't do it. When that group of people stood before Jesus and he said, I was sick and you didn't visit me. I was in prison and you didn't come to see me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Those people were judged because they had the opportunity and the means to do it and they did not do it. If I have the means and the ability to love my brother, the Bible expects me, and I dare say requires of me to love them. Because my, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. What was his mind? Wash the feet of the one that's going to betray you tonight. Hallelujah. Did you see this? See, this is not just a message about forgiveness and love as much as it is. This is the last message before he went to the cross. The last message before he went to the cross wasn't, all right, gather around, boys. Let me show you how to work these Jesus miracles. Let me tell you how to release power. Although he is telling them how to release power. The greatest flow of power is in the flow of love. Power flows to its greatest extent when love is at its greatest extent. Every miracle that Jesus did was motivated by love. Everybody Jesus healed, it was because of His compassion. Not to prove He was God. But yet you'll read commentaries that say Jesus was proving He was God. That all He was doing with those miracles was proving He was God. Well, that is an arrogant self-centered, prideful God that will just come heal somebody to prove who He is. Amen. I can buy my daughter pretty much anything she wants and she knows it. But I don't buy her things to prove I'm her father. I buy her things because I love her. I don't buy her something going, that proves I'm your dad. No, I love you. Here, I love you. Do you see this? Jesus thought it was so important that we love each other, that he spent the entire last night of his life, earthly life, on this planet teaching his disciples how to love each other. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 12. So after he'd washed their feet and taken his garments and was sat down again, he said to him to them, "Do you know what I've done to you?" Now, now notice, not what I have done for you, what I've done to you. Right? Can can uh, can we see that in the amplified Bible, please, sir? And uh, he says, and we'll we'll read 12 through 15 here. So when he'd finished washing their feet, put on his garment, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know, understand what I've done to you? Do, Do you see that? Now, the, the next verse, you call me the teacher, master, and the Lord, and you're right in doing so, for that is what I am. If, then you're, if I then, your Lord and teacher, master, have washed your feet, notice this, you ought, it is your duty. You are under obligation. You owe it to wash one another's feet. You see that? For I have given you this as an example so that you should do in turn what I have done to you. Now that is a perfect, almost perfect translation because I want you to see this. The lesson he taught was simple. If he is the teacher and the Lord would humble himself and do the work of a servant, they should be willing to serve one another. Jesus said he had given them to be an example, given them, give, given them an example. Now think about that. That's the example. This is the last example. Love one another. Serve one another. What was Jesus' concern? The people. It. The people he was leaving behind. He knew if they did not walk in love, they would fall into this this mindset of who's the greatest and the whole thing would splinter. Amen. you, You see a lot of issues with leaders today and ministers today, people falling into sin, people falling into wrongdoing. It's very simple. They're not thinking about the people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was driving to Kansas location one time, and I was going through uh, Conway. And, you know, here in this region, you all know there's a church a million, right? There's a church on every corner. And, and I was noticing some of the names, and I won't name the names, but, oh, they were cool names. You know, they were, they were in-style names. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the rafters. And that's and nah, not really a church name, but anyway... The the point is, the Holy Spirit asked me, I read a church name, and I thought, that don't even sound like a church. And the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, where did they get the name for their churches? From me or a marketing firm? And he said to me, he said, more churches, churches, many churches are more concerned about their brand than they are about what I want. Our brand is Jesus. That's it. A name represents what you are. Are you following me? We are Christians. That's our name. Little Christ. Christians, anointed ones. Is that right? When I was a boy growing up, we weren't ashamed to be called Pentecostal. We were Pentecostal not because we shouted and danced, but because we were filled with the Holy Ghost. We had that Pentecostal experience. Right? It wasn't our brand. It was what we were. We are faith builders. That's what we do. That's not a brand name. We build faith and frame worlds by the Word of God. The greatest things that, thing that we can be called is a lover of our brother or our sister because the example we were left is love and serve each other. Yeah. And when you're concerned about the people, that becomes your, your goal. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. Do you see that? I saw there was something in the, in the uh, I saw on a Christian uh, news report, there's a church that, you know, it's, it's the lent, Lenten season, you know, in the religious world. And uh, they were, it said they over Lent, they were fasting whiteness. I thought, what in the world is that? They're not singing any songs in their church written by a white person. And you know what came up in me? How dwelleth the love of God in you. And it's it's the same way on, on, on every every side. Amen. You 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 got white folks that have a problem with black folks. You got black folks got a problem with white folks. You got uh, Mexican folks got a problem with white folks. And white folks got a problem with Mexican folks. Mixed folks got a problem with biracial folks. It, it's, it's ridiculous. Hallelujah. Why is that? No love. No love. The church should be the example of racial unity. Amen. I'm so tired of hearing people talk about how they don't see color, but yet their church is lily white or coal black. You don't see color, but you don't want no white folks, or you don't want no black folks, or you don't want no Hispanic folks. If whoever, whatever the color of the disciple was, Jesus got on his knees and washed their feet. That's my example. Amen. Are you following me? Am I helping you? People say, Pastor, you just don't understand. I may not understand everything in the natural, but I understand. Jesus said my example that I was given is to serve my brother and my sister, irregardless of their race, irregardless of their background irregardless of where they came from, my job as a brother or a sister in Christ is to lay aside my pride and lay aside my standing and put a towel around me and take on myself the form of a servant and love them. That's my job. I was to a brother the other day and he was telling me that in his ministry he has to minister to a lot of people that are now calling themselves transgender and homosexual. And he said, is there a scripture that I can go to and, and show them, you know, where that's not right? And I thought for a minute, I actually was praying under my breath because, and, and, and the Holy Spirit said this to me and I said it to him. I said, the first thing you have to do is show those people that God loves them where they're at. You didn't know that. God loves that transgender person where they're at. I didn't say he approves of what they're doing. He loves them where they're at. But here's the thing. If you cannot convince them, first of all, that God loves them, you can never convince them to change. If you believe God loves you, then you can begin the mind renewal process. Do you see what I'm saying? I am in no way saying that I agree with either of those lifestyles. I I, I don't. I believe they're wrong according to the Bible. But here's what I'm saying. The church has to learn something, that love is not acceptance. And acceptance is not love. I can love you and not accept what you're doing. I can accept you and not love you. There are parents that accept everything their child does and never corrects them. That's not love. That's that's hatred for that child. The Bible says if you don't correct them and tell them they're wrong, you hate them. But right on the other hand, always berating them. That's not love. You understand why I'm saying this? He loved perfectly until the end. If Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, That has no spot and no wrinkle. If Jesus, and he is, the Bible says that's the church he's coming for. It's going to mean that there's got to be a church of servants. It's got to be a body of believers that are willing to serve one another. Glory to God. Just like the Amplified Bible says, the word ought means to owe. To be in debt. And to be due. We do not owe it to our fellow believers to wash their feet, we owe it to them to serve them. Now, see, that takes this, as they say, to a whole nother level. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So, think about that. That can be in any way, that can be in personal interaction, that can be working in the church. You owe it to your fellow believers to get involved in what's going on. You owe it to them. That's important. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 16. Truly I say to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Jesus is emphasizing that he is their Lord, was willing to serve them. Notice, the servant is not greater than the master. The servant is not greater than the master, than his Lord. Neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. In the serving is the blessing. That's important. Hallelujah. And all through the New Testament, the Pauline epistles, you see that phrase over and over. By love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. Now, that that can sound elementary, but that's the key. Love is the key. Everything, I've heard people say everything hinges on faith. No, it doesn't. Everything hinges on love. Faith works by love. You know, the Bible never says that you're a murderer if you don't have faith, but it says you're a murderer if you don't love your brother. When Jesus talked about the narrow gate and the wide gate, you can study it for yourself and see the context is perfect. It's talking about love. There's a narrow way to walk, which is the love walk. And there's a wide way to walk, which is the do-whatever-you-want walk. Hallelujah. Love is a narrow way because it puts the pressure on me to keep my eyes on what God said and what He would do where my brother or my sister is concerned. Love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. One translation says, and the Greek says, love does not keep a record. And it carries the idea of a bookkeeper that's meticulously keeping figures. Love doesn't do that. Now again, that's something that I know we've heard a lot. But think about that. What do we see in society today? A lot of records being kept. Right? You did this. I mean, you got folks going back 50 years. You did this to me. You did that, keeping a record. And the only thing that will ever produce is destruction. That's it. The only thing... That cancels all debt is love. Am I helping you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, I'm, 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 I'm amazed. Now, if, if, if y'all disagree with me about some of this, you can because you have a right. But, you know, we got a lot of movements today. We got a lot of movements, uh, you know, for racial equality. And I'm not saying that we don't have strides to make there. And I've to, I've always told both of my churches. Here's the thing: you got to understand. If 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 you're a person of African American heritage, Black heritage, in here, I, I, I apologize from the get go. I have no point of reference. As you can see, I'm pink. <laughs> Y'all are mocha. But but here's here's my point. So. I don't have any point of reference for something that you may have experienced because of the color of your skin. And I'm sorry that that would ever happen. But here's the thing. In, in the movements that I have, that, that I see, they, they never quote the man that made the most progress for racial equality in America. They never quote Dr. King. You remember his speech on the mall that we call it the I Have a Dream speech? Remember what he said about his children? He said, I have a dream that one day my children will live in a country where they're not judged by the color of their skin. Watch. But they are judged by the content of their character. If your character's wrong, it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. If your character's wrong, you're wrong. If you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. Right? If you're protesting and your character's wrong and you're out of love and you're not trying to bring reconciliation, you're just trying to get something from somebody, now there's a problem. You understand? These are things we got to preach and teach. White folks are not the problem. Black folks are not the problem. Hispanic folks are not the problem. Every other race you want to talk about is not the problem. No love is the problem. I say no love is the problem. I'm so glad that I was raised in a home where my father told me Anybody that makes a decision about a man based on the content of his skin is stupid. I don't like that word, even though my wife reminded me I used it four times Sunday. I love you. Hallelujah. I'm so glad because it set me on the right path. Jesus, with the knowledge of what was about to befall him, The last night of his life on the earth spent the time to give us an example of how we should love one another. These are some of the last words he spoke there in that room. And we'll get more into it Sunday morning. This is so important. If Jesus could wash the feet of his betrayer, That sets the bar way up here. How did you say it out loud? Close your eyes, say it out loud. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I commit tonight to serve my fellow believer, to walk in love, to love people unconditionally, and follow your example in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.